Blackstone Audio presents Attila, the Barbarian King Who Challenged Rome by John Mann This book bears the following dedication for A.T.S. Introduction A Beast Cornered He's history's bogeyman, God's scourge, a symbol of brute destructiveness, a cliché of extreme right-wingness. Beyond that, he's known only to those who studied the collapse of the Roman Empire in the 5th century. Even to them, he's scarcely more than a predator, the grimmest of those many barbarians tearing at the flesh of the empire in its death agony. But there is a lot more to Attila than clichéd barbarism. This is the story of a man of astonishing ambition, who deployed forces the like of which no one had ever seen before. With his Hun army of mounted warriors, strengthened by a dozen allied tribes and contingents of siege machines, he was, for a while, the Genghis Khan of Europe. From his base in what is today Hungary, he created an empire that reached from the Baltic to the Balkans, from the Rhine to the Black Sea. He struck deep into the Roman Empire, threatening its very roots. Hun warriors who had once crossed the Balkans on their way to Constantinople could later have watered their horses in the Loire, in the heart of Roman Gaul, within a three-day gallop of the Atlantic, and then the next year bathed in the Po, on a campaign that might have led to Rome itself. Constantinople and Rome did not fall, but Attila's achievements ensured that his name lived on, and lives on today, not just as the supreme barbarian, but as a hero. This is my attempt to explain Attila's rise, his brief moment of glory, his sudden extinction, and why he is such an enduring presence. It takes time to build up an image in the round, because he rose and operated in several worlds, all interfused in complicated ways. The first world was the one from which he sprang, a way of life which dominated much of Asia for two thousand years. This was the way of the nomadic herders, or pastoral nomads, to give them their formal name, in particular their military aspect, the mounted archer. From China to Europe, Cultures outside the Eurasian heartland were at risk of sudden invasion by these centaur-like people, able to shoot with extraordinary accuracy and power while at full gallop. This book is in part a portrait of their most devastating manifestation before the rise of the Mongols 800 years later. But Attila's Huns were not the pastoral nomads, the mounted archers, their forebears had once been. By the time they became known to the West, they were already victims of their own success. Most nomadic invasions were self-limiting because pastoral nomads, when migrating or at war, could not at the same time create the military hardware they needed to extend their instant empires or build the necessary administrative infrastructure and skills to rule the lands they conquered. It happened in China and in the West as well, for nomads, the sequel to conquest was either stability and a softer life, or retreat and dissipation. So it was with the Huns. They swept like a tidal wave from the ocean of green, the grasslands of Asia, 
into the Hungarian plain and broke upon the rocks of several other worlds of forests and cities, Rome, its eastern sister Constantinople, and a dozen other tribes, all of them manoeuvring in alliance and rivalry. The Huns were the new bullies on the block, and for a time they swaggered their way to power. But, like many nomad groups before them, they were increasingly caught in a contradiction, feeding off settled agricultural peoples, but biting, indeed destroying, the hands that fed them. The dilemma faced by Attila runs as a recurrent theme through this book. He was the leader of a people on the cusp of change. Their grandparents had been pastoral nomads. They themselves were betwixt and between, part nomad, part settled, unable to return whence they had come, unable to sustain their old way of life. Their sons faced a stark choice, to become partners of, or conquerors of, the greatest military power ever known, Rome, or perish. His problem was to find a place for the Huns in the world of the collapsing Roman Empire. Unless he entirely recreated his people's culture, behaved himself, built cities and joined the Western world, his empire would never be secure from the threat of war and possible defeat. That was what his successors, the Hungarians, did almost 500 years later. It was easier for them, because by then Europe had settled down a bit, but even so it took them a century. Attila was not the ruler to make such changes. He was, finally, more robber baron than empire builder. He is, therefore, remembered as our worst nightmare, matched in folk memory only by Genghis Khan. Actually, for Europeans, Attila is by far the worse of the two. Genghis never reached Europe, though his heirs did, and even they got no further west than Attila's homeland. Attila led armies two-thirds of the way across France and well into Italy. A destroyer he certainly was, but not uniquely so. Many leaders of many nations have become robber barons and murderers. They still emerge today, an Amin here, a Saddam there. Their murderous impulses constantly threaten to break through our civilizing constraints, as they did in Nazi Germany, in Rwanda, in the Balkans, and, in lesser ways, in Vietnam, Northern Ireland, any place where hatred of a feared or despised other becomes dominant. This murderous hatred is the force exemplified by Attila in our minds. He is our own dark side, the ogre, Mr. Hyde, Beowulf's Grendel, waiting to emerge from the swamp of our unconscious and destroy us all. That is the prejudice expressed by the Christian writers who recorded his assault on their world, and the prejudice willingly embraced by most of us ever since. Fortunately, there is an equal and opposite human impulse, the desire for peace, stability, and reconciliation. Attila had this urge, too, employing secretaries to exchange letters in Greek and Latin, sending and receiving ambassadors galore. The Huns had no tradition of diplomacy, yet Attila could play at peace and politics as well as at war. So, as the lights go on, the shadows fade, and the preconceptions flee. He is not all bogeyman. Indeed, to Hungarians he is a hero. All Hungarians know that their nation was founded by Arpad, who led his Magyar people over the Carpathians in 896. 
The event is celebrated in every Hungarian schoolbook history. Yet, deep in the Hungarian psyche, there lurks the shrewd suspicion that Arpad was only reclaiming land staked out 450 years before by Attila. This is the foundation myth, as told in the most impressive of medieval Hungarian chronicles. Until recently, Hungarian histories routinely reproduced a pseudo-biblical family tree, according to which Attila begat four generations of descendants, the last of whom begat Arpad, even though this genealogy requires each sire to have produced his heir at the age of a hundred. Deep down, the Hungarians feel that Attila was a Hungarian at heart and honour him for it. Attila, the stress in Hungary is on the first syllable, which is rounded until it is almost an O, Ottila, is a common boy's name. The nation's most famous poet of the last century was Attila Josef, 1905-37, or rather Josef Attila, because the Hungarians put the given name last. Many towns have streets named after Attila, or Josef Attila. To anyone coming from Western Europe, it seems distinctly odd, rather like naming suns and streets and squares after Hitler. It is, of course, a question of winner-takes-all. Our conquering hero is your brutal oppressor, now as always. Now that Mongolia's national hero, for 70 years persona non grata under communism, has been rehabilitated, Mongolians name their sons Genghis. Hungarians, who suffered brutally under Mongol troops in 1241,